What's up my friend, welcome back to ADHD Powerful Possibilities, ADHD Coach Catherine and this is the first episode of season two. In 2024 I want to take you through a real journey of understanding a lot more about your ADHD and then we're going to look in more detail in future episodes about how to take all the knowledge into everyday life so that you can address the executive function challenges that come up for you, whether you're at work, at college, at university, running a family, running a business. We're going to cover all of that. And I just wanted to start with a really nice episode looking at ADHD and the different presentations of ADHD. I thought it would make sense for us to start by thinking about what is ADHD? What can we get confused with ADHD? And then have a think about what are the impacts in everyday life of the parts of ADHD we've just talked about. I'm going to try and keep this really short. It's New Year 2024. We've all had a really intense 2023. So let's begin and really dive in to what ADHD is, what it's not, and how it shows up in your everyday life. And I've got some interesting news at the end of the episode. Let me begin by saying welcome to people that haven't been here before and welcome back if you have. I really appreciate all the feedback, the positive and the negative and the really fantastic reviews that people have been giving me either in messages or ideally on Apple Podcasts. What's lovely is to hear from you and for you to ask me questions. So please send me your questions. You can send them by email, you can send them through Messenger, just get in touch and let's create a podcast that really works for you. This episode I decided to call ADHD Beyond the Buzz and Into the Spectrum. It's a bit controversial because there's a lot of buzz about ADHD and I see a lot of people who have maybe worked in other areas transitioning into working in ADHD because hey, people are aware that they have ADHD traits, they need help and maybe they can help. There's a lot of misinformation, especially online and how can you find trustworthy information is something that we will t discuss in a couple of weeks. But also, is it a spectrum? I think probably in the same sense that autism is now recognised as a spectrum condition. And it's basically because it's a neurological difference that can affect anybody at any age, no matter their sex. If your brain fits a certain pattern, that means that you have ADHD. Let's begin with what ADHD is. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, the worst name possible ever for what we know is not a deficit of attention and does not always look like hyperactivity. And lots of us would say it's not necessarily a disorder. It does come with lots of challenges though. So let's not pretend that it's some kind of magical superpower for everyone. There are serious implications in your long-term health, your success, your relationships that are affected by ADHD if it's not recognised, supported and treated. According to the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, it's characterised by a pattern of hyperactivity and or impulsivity and inattention that interferes with everyday functioning and development. ADHD as a neurodevelopmental condition means it's actually about how our brain grows and develops. And this is a real contrast to even 15, 20 years ago when people really thought it was a behavioural disorder. So that's probably where the disorder comes from. It's not a 
behaviour disorder. It's a neurological difference. And I've talked about this before, but neurologically, there are areas of the brain that are particularly affected in the ADHD condition, the ADHD difference. And those are the ones that control things like attention, planning, and of course, impulse control. There are other executive functions that we can describe from those three main areas. That's where it shows up for most of us. But studies show, and these are physical scans of human brains, not just, not scale forms that doctors fill in for you. These are physical scans, fMRIs of the brain, that show there are functional and structural differences in the ADHD brain. Most of these are in the prefrontal cortex, and that is where most of our high-level decision-making and planning happens. And the prefrontal cortex is crucial for our decision-making, our behaviour, regulation, emotional control, and of course, planning. Although it's important to try and get a diagnosis of ADHD if you can, we know that's not possible for many thousands of people. Let's have a look at the DSM-5 criteria to give you an idea of what the doctors are looking for when they're making that assessment. Inattention is the first one. Now that doesn't mean that you can't pay attention. It means that for at least six months or more, your level of ability to control your attention and focus is not what would be expected at your developmental level. And that could include being inconsistent, making careless mistakes, not paying attention to detail, as well as having difficulty organising tasks and activities that have lots of steps that you need to focus on to put into order. The next thing they look at is hyperactivity and impulsivity. Again, there are about six or more symptoms that come under this banner of hyperactivity. And again, we're looking at least six months in a way that interferes with your actual focus or your daily life. And those are things like fidgeting, leaving your seat when you're supposed to stay in your seat. This is most obvious in younger people, but I know lots of adults are struggling with this one as well. And of course, talking a lot, talking excessively, blurting out, interrupting when we don't mean to or when it's socially inappropriate. They also look at the age of onset. At the moment, you have to be experiencing these things from before the age of 12, because after 12, other things can happen that look like ADHD but are not. Finally, they look at impairment. Now that means they need to be present in at least two settings, so at home and at work, home and in school or university. And there has to be clear evidence that the experiences and the symptoms you're having are interfering with your home, with your social, with your work, with your academic life. One of the things that is really important when we do try to get a diagnosis is that somebody looks at your whole life and not just the last six months, especially if you're an adult. Let's look at some of the myths that people still perpetuate about ADHD. The first is that it only affects children and people grow out of it. It is true, some people grow up and they no longer meet the diagnostic threshold, but they may have developed coping strategies. They may have found a workplace that suits them. They may have a family life and a structure that allows their ADHD to thrive. It's not impairing them any longer. If that's the case, brilliant. But are they still actually having an ADHD brain? Who knows? We'd have to do fMRIs over a long time and there are ethical issues around that as well as financial ones. What we do know is that the over 50s are the fastest growing group of people being diagnosed with ADHD. That's largely in my case because it didn't exist. And if you were bright, if you were capable, you were not 
given any indication that you might be ADHD. And nobody's really talking to us about how we deal with the lifelong consequences of undiagnosed ADHD. There are some great researchers and doctors in the States, uh, Dr. Kathleen Nadeau, Dr. Patricia Quinn, for example, but this really matters. If you're over 50, it's unlikely that you are settling in for a, a nice quiet retirement. So we need to understand our ADHD in the context of being adults with, let's say, patchy pasts and how do we focus and deal with our ADHD while still juggling work and home and kids and parents, everything else. Another classic myth is that ADHD is a lack of willpower. Surely ADHD is just a lack of willpower, right? That's a really common misunderstanding that I see a lot on the internet from people who don't really believe the scientific evidence that ADHD exists. And what's really frustrating about that is that people with ADHD try really hard and they just can't do it. And the more we try, the more frustrated we get, the more disappointed other people get. It feeds into a really negative narrative about ourselves. And before you know it, we're burnt out. So ADHD is not about willpower. It's not about not wanting things. It's about a neurological difference. And the last myth I'm going to talk about today is that we can't focus, that we have no attention. Anyone with ADHD will tell you we have bucket loads of attention when something is engaging, when it's interesting. And that's because interest is an emotion and it's a really powerful one. If you're interested in something, I bet you can focus on it for a long time. If you're having problems focusing on something that you're passionate about and that you love, it may be that there are other demands going on that you're not aware of and you're not taking care of yourself enough. But with the right support and strategies, people with ADHD have lots of attention and we can learn to control where we shine that torch. Let's talk about a differential diagnosis because this is a really key one. What is ADHD not? Or what can masquerade as ADHD? I want to make it very clear, ADHD can overlap with any of these conditions. I am not a medical doctor, so don't take this as a diagnostic thing. But it means that if you're experiencing things that feel like ADHD or look like it, it's worth getting checked out as soon as you can. First up is anxiety disorders. Feeling restless, being unable to focus, jittery, that being driven by a motor can also be a symptom of an anxiety disorder. Second, mood disorders. This is a big one. People with ADHD are three times more likely to experience adult depression, but you can get a feeling of ADHD-like behaviour and be experiencing depression because depression affects our attention, our focus, our energy. And there's a really strong body of evidence that especially women with ADHD are often given a diagnosis of bipolar disorder first. Another thing that travels with ADHD but can also lead to symptoms that look like ADHD are sleep disorders. If you snore really heavily, you may find that during the day you cannot focus. Your energy is down, but your attention is all over the place and you're grabbing you're grabbing energy-rich snacks and things to try and boost your focus. Sometimes learning difficulties can look like ADHD. Sometimes academic difficulties look like ADHD. For example, dyslexia, even dysgraphia. But the learning difficulties that we experience can occur with ADHD. So it's really important if you or your child has a diagnosis of dyslexia or you suspect it, please ask, 
for them to check that there's not ADHD as well. A significant percentage of people with dyslexia also have ADHD and vice versa. And finally, substance abuse. Whether that is something that's illegal or something that is legal but very not good for you, you can end up having difficulty focusing, you can become jittery, you can become anxious and unable to focus. So there is a, a pool of conditions that look like ADHD but are not, but can sometimes occur with ADHD. And especially in the last one, we know that untreated adults with ADHD have a higher likelihood of abusing either illegal substances or legal ones like alcohol or overeating to try and manage how we feel. What is different about the ADHD brain? First of all, the structure and function is different in ADHD. Things like our neurotransmitters, the dopamine and norepinephrine, are different in ADHD because our dopamine transporter cells are more efficient and so the dopamine doesn't get to fulfil its job before it's removed. There are something like 500 genes that we believe are involved with ADHD and it's a group of them all together functioning that creates the difference in your brain structure. And although a lot of these neurological features that lead to executive function problems can be shared with other neurological conditions, there are some specific ones that are more common in ADHD. For example, the cortical maturation in ADHD, which means how mature is your brain cortex? Is it at the age appropriate level of development? It's delayed in ADHD and that ties in with what we believe is a three to five year lag in academic and social development for people with ADHD. We do eventually catch up but it's one of the reasons why people with ADHD often appear younger than their cohort. With autism, which quite often overlaps with ADHD, you might expect to find areas where the brain has peaked almost too soon, but then it plateaus. And just briefly, I want to cover how you're diagnosed. This is something that comes up a lot. How do you get diagnosed with ADHD? So looking briefly at the UK, you would first of all approach your GP, your general practice doctor, who would then make a referral to a specialist clinic. There is a huge backlog in the UK. There are some parts of the UK where adults are no longer being allowed to go for an NHS diagnosis. That is a huge problem because of the effect on our life, which we'll talk about next. But it means that there's a, a level of safety in terms of diagnosis because you do have to see someone who is qualified. They use the nice guidelines which are set out in a link that I will include in the show notes. They also want to know about your history. If you're an adult, they're going to want some evidence from before the age of 12. If you're a young person, they're going to want school reports. They may send a form to your school to fill in or your university. But in the States, there is quite a big difference and a lot of variety. So in the States, again, you might want to see a psychologist, psychiatrist, they will use the DSM-5 criteria. They might include neuropsychological testing. They'll include rating scales and things like that. And again, one of the problems is access to diagnosis by qualified individuals. In both countries, there is a real problem. And it's not helped by the kind of populist media saying that everybody has ADHD and people claiming that it's not holding them back. If it's not holding you back, fantastic. But there are thousands and millions of us where it is a real barrier to success. And I don't just mean academic success, friendships, relationships, your working life, your quality of life, how you see and relate to other people. So what's the real impact of ADHD on daily life? In a way, it's incredibly personal. 
and I can't standardize what other people experience. I'm going to share my story. When I was a kid, I was intensely dreamy and I would go off for hours and entertain myself in my own head. In school, I was described as having a butterfly mind and if I was any more laid back, I'd be horizontal. In fact, my brain was running a million miles an hour, but not in any direction that was relevant. Outside of school, I went to dance classes four nights a week or all day on Saturday. So physically, I was very active and I remember as a child, my granddad telling me to go and play outside because I was jumping up and down constantly and frankly driving him up the wall. After dropping out of university in my early 20s because I could not cope, I didn't have the scaffolding in place to manage away from my away from my home. I went back in my mid-20s and then I went on to do a PhD. And the PhD was frankly torture. I'd come out of a really highly structured degree, my MA honours, where I got a first class award and then the PhD and there was nothing. I was left in this limbo. And that's when I first experienced the dreaded ADHD paralysis or inertia where you've got stuff to do and you just can't get started. And it wasn't because I didn't know what to do and it wasn't because I didn't care and I wasn't interested. I just had no idea where to start. And one of the things I ended up doing was looking for dopamine through food. And it's something that I still struggle with to this day. Even with medication, it's something I have to be really intentional about. And with stress, it's one of the first areas to go. And that's because my dopamine was way below where it needed to be for me to actually engage and ignite and start doing things. At the same time, I've also experienced intense hyperfocus. And one of the things that I used to do was really get into a subject, learn everything about it and then drop it completely. And that includes everything from medieval music and fashion, Victorian corsetry, to medical herbalism, doll making, you name it, I have done it and I've got the evidence in my cupboard to prove it. I became incredibly absorbed in a subject and it would be like an inch wide but a mile deep and I would have this period of intense passion and interest followed by a complete inability to even look at the thing again and frankly that was embarrassing and it was exhausting. Because as an adult, I thought, oh, this means I need to turn it into a business. And many of you will have lots of domain names registered for these ideas that you have. Looking at sports people, Michelle Carter is a US Olympian. And she found that when she took ADHD medication, she was focusing too much on the everyday tasks and her training suffered. So she chose not to be medicated. And what she says is that although our learning disabilities and our problems don't go away, we can adapt and learn how to manage them. And that is where things like coaching, CBT, therapy come in. And importantly, she says, you can do it, but do it differently. And one person I didn't realise was ADHD is Trudy Styler. Now, you might know her as wife of Mr Sting from the police, but she's a really successful actress and filmmaker. And she had ADHD and it showed up in her childhood when she had real trouble learning to read in school. Her passion for acting allowed her to completely transform how she engaged with life. And she ended up going on to direct many films. She went on to appear in many movies and produce lots of TV and films. Physically, she uses the yoga to help her focus. And that is a really fantastic modality if you're able. And there are lots of kinds of yoga you can use. She describes it as clearing the traffic that goes on in our chaotic minds, which I adore. But when she needs to read scripts and learn them, she finds that the medication helps her to focus. She says, when you're a kid, you want to be normal and you obsess about it. But as you get older, it's not such a big thing. 
She says, celebrate who you are and listen for that small voice that's going to nudge you in the right direction. And these are just three stories about how ADHD can present very differently in three different women, all of whom manage ADHD in a different way. I'm going to finish with letting you know about something really special that I've just produced and it's going to make a difference, I hope. It's a guide for you to work out which presentation of ADHD you have and that's the topic of the next podcast, understanding the different presentations and then how to manage your particular combination of them. It describes what inattentive, hyperactive and combined ADHD are, how you can understand them and it's got an assessment guide that you can complete so you know where you are because at least in the UK it's not always common for you to be told which kind of ADHD you have and strictly speaking they vary. I know that Dr Barclay has said that we all have aspects of them and even within attentive ADHD our hyperactivity can be internalised. So these aren't silos that you go off into, they cross over and there's a common thread of which is our brain. I'm inviting you to download the guide to the different presentations of ADHD. And when you do, you will get a discount code for the ebook, which is coming at the end of January, which is a much more in-depth look at ADHD and also accompanies a webinar where we can sit, talk and discuss ADHD, how it's showing up for you and what you can do about it. And we're going to say, is there such a thing as boy ADHD and girl ADHD? The short answer is no, but we will get into that next week. So use the link below to sign up and get your own quiz, understand your presentation and get a discount for the ebook. That's it for our episode and I hope that the differential diagnosis where we looked at what can look like ADHD and occur with ADHD but is not ADHD was useful and that you're interested in the presentation quiz and the ebook and webinar. We also looked at some of the really common myths of ADHD and I hope you understand now that they are exactly that make-believe. If you enjoyed my story of how ADHD completely threw me off course uh, in my teens, 20s and 30s, stick around. It's so wonderful to have you with me as we explore ADHD. Maybe you know somebody in your life who needs to understand ADHD more and this podcast is something that you can share with them. I'll be back next week where we look at ADHD presentations and I explore a bit more about the quiz that you can download from the link below. Until we come back next week, keep learning, keep exploring, keep being compassionate, and most of all, think about what's possible, not what you can't do, but what is possible, and explore things from a different angle. Thank you for listening to ADHD Powerful Possibilities. I'm going to see you next week, and please get in touch with your questions. Thank you for joining us today on Powerful Possibilities, Navigating ADHD from New Diagnosis and Beyond. If you found value in this episode, please subscribe and share it with someone else you know who might benefit or who you want to understand you better. Remember, your journey with ADHD is an ongoing journey of growth, but you're not alone anymore. Until next time, this is Catherine, reminding you that with the right guidance, the possibilities really are powerful and endless. Take care.